I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2 for our scripture reading. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 53. Began this sermon series on the book of Exodus last week. Looking at chapter 1, this morning we look at chapter 2. Here we have the birth of a child, and the title of the sermon, A Savior is Born. Let us now hear God's word. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a different distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. And watered their flock. When they, came to, when they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us, and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For, he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Thus far the reading of God's holy word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, the weight of oppression and slavery causes the people of Israel to groan deeply and cry out to God. It was so weighty, so burdensome, they looked they look to no other than God. And God, being rich in mercy, remembers his people. He remembers. God doesn't have amnesia. He is not like man that he should forget. God remembers. He remembers his promises. He is not like man that he breaks promises. Rather, God keeps promises. He fulfills them in his time. In his time, he fulfills them. And so here, who will deliver the people of Israel from Pharaoh's hand of oppression? Remember the end of chapter 1, when Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And now a Savior is sent. A child is born. And in our text, a Savior is born under humble conditions and circumstances to fulfill God's purposes for Israel. A Savior is born under under humble circumstances and conditions to deliver his people, Israel. Deliver them from what? From the bondage of slavery. The bondage of oppression. He will be set apart from birth to be Israel's Savior. And the similarities between Moses, the child born here, and Jesus are strikingly similar. And yet different. They are strikingly similar and yet different. So what is it about this child born What is it about this child? Why chapter 1 and then go into chapter 2 with the birth of this Savior child? Why not start chapter 2 with the conclusion of chapter 2 when God remembers the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and then go into this narrative of a child to be born or that a child is born? Chapter 2 is about a Savior, a child born. A Savior is born who is a Levite. First, he is a Levite. We see in our text in verses 1 and 2. The child's parents are Levites. And as we learned a few weeks ago, in an evening service, Levi means to, to attach to. And in time, when God appointed the tribes of Israel to particular lands, to the Levites, he made to be priests, and they had no land inheritance. The people of God from the tribes of Israel were called to support the Levites in their priestly ministry, to provide land, food, and the like. 
And temporarily now, we see here in this text how this child who is born will be detached from his people, but not detached from God. He will temporarily be detached from his people before he becomes prince, priest, and prophet of God. But he will not be detached from God because God will watch over him. God remembers. God remembers. When he was born, the child's mother, and notice the names of the mother and father are not given here because the, the importance of this text is the child. The author wants us to know who this child is. Now, later on in chapter 6, verse 20, in a genealogy, we learn who his parents are, the names of his parents. But we ought not to be distracted on their names. We want to be focused on the Savior who is born a Levite. And when the mother sees the child, she sees that the child is fine, a fine child or a good child. What was good about the Levite child? What was good about this child? What made this child distinct from, let's say, Aaron, his older brother, or Miriam, his, his older sister? Why this child, born a Levite, is good in the eyes of his mother and father? Why single out Moses and hide him for three months? It seems that the child's mother knew something about this child. Perhaps God revealed something to the mother about this child and the special calling upon this child. And the mother steps out in faith to protect the child. Even in Acts Seven. If you want to read two passages in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, you have Stephen's speech to the religious leaders who are persecuting him. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, you have this, this narrative spoken of. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, Stephen said that Moses was beautiful in God's sight. So this child born, this child who is a Levite, who will be a priest, prophet, and prince of God, is born under humble circumstances, but he is a beautiful child, a fine child, a good child, who will bring together the nation of Israel, bring to, together this new nation, this new creation under heaven, to be followers of Yahweh, the Lord, and he will be their leader he will be the one that attaches Israel to Yahweh, the Lord. The narrative focuses primarily on this child, this Levite child, doesn't it? But we ought not to forget about the mother. Because something significant needs to be said about the mother and the faith that she has. She is an example of faith in the Lord. Don't miss that. Like the Hebrew midwives, she and her husband trusted and feared God and not man. How do I know that? How do we know that? Well, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, if you're taking notes, jot that down, but I'll read it for you right now. 
The author of Hebrews says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Scripture interprets, interprets Scripture. The mother and father knew something about this child and by faith they believed God and did not fear man. The Savior is born a, Le- a Levite. And then the Savior receives refuge in unexpected places. Secondly, the Savior receives refuge, protection in unexpected places. There's so much irony in this narrative. It's so interesting. And we'll see that come out. At verse 3 and 4, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. That word basket can literally be translated ark. She put the child in a mini ark. You see here already, Genesis 1 and 2. Chapter 1 of Exodus, the people increased and multiplied. Just like in Genesis 1 and 2, God commanded the nation, or Adam and Eve. In chapter 2, the child was born a Levite under humble circumstances is fine, or literally tobe, good. Going back to God seeing all creation and saying it is good. And now we have here the child being placed in a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it or covered it with a liquidy substance like an asphalt a tar. The, child, the mother made sure that this child was protected, found refuge in this mini ark. Consider the emotional pain and sorrow of this mother. She loves this child dearly, and she has to step out in faith because the time has come for her to do this unthinkable act. And the child finds unexpected Safety receives refuge in this unexpected context, a a mini ark. And the mother places the child in the reeds of the Nile, protecting the child with this ark from the elements of nature, from the river monsters, like alligators that were prevalent and populated the river at that time. This child found refuge in the ark and God was protecting this child. God was protecting this child. Oh, the faith of the mother to trust God. In December 2005, there's a lady by the name of Transcinda Fox. Transcinda Fox. And she was forced to contemplate the unthinkable She was in New York City in one of the boroughs and her apartment building caught fire and the the flames just engulfed the entire apartment and she had her little child in her hand and she had to do the unthinkable. She had to drop her child three stories hoping that somebody would be down there. This is a true story. It's either to be burned alive or hope. 
that someone was down there to receive the child. She let go of the child. The infant tumbled three stories down into the waiting arms of Felix Vasquez. I dare to say many of us will, may not be in a position of doing the unthinkable like this. Don't miss the faith of Moses' mother. Don't miss it. She knew something of God's plan for this child. And she made this mini ark so this child can find refuge, protection. And then at verses 5 and 6, another unexpected place. Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket. The child is crying, but she has pity on the Hebrew child. Think about it. There's this edict to destroy every son and toss the son of every Hebrew son in the Nile River. And Pharaoh's daughter undermines her own father's edict. Can pagans show mercy and pity towards downcast and helpless? Well, apparently they can in some instances. Pharaoh's daughter has pity and wants to keep the child as her own. The Savior will receive refuge from Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's own house. Oh, the irony. And to top it off, Pharaoh's daughter will pay for it. I don't know about you, when I was reading this, I was kind of laughing when it's a very serious story. The evil king's edict to kill all male Hebrew sons is being undermined by his own daughter. The king's edict command to destroy every Hebrew son and thrown in the Nile is pretty much obliterated by his own daughter. Because God in his providence purposed to bring a deliverer, a savior to his people. And he worked out all things, all things to accomplish his plan. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Don't miss the irony here. It is rich. Pharaoh's daughter gives the child back to the mother, Moses' own mother, without knowing she was his mother, probably, to be weaned and nurtured until the appointed time. And then he will be called Moses. When the, Pharaoh's daughter receives the child back, he call, she calls the child Moses. Now there's debate whether that's a Hebrew word, a Semite word, or... Uh, a Moses or an uh, Egyptian word or Egyptian name. But his name is called Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Unbeknownst to Pharaoh's daughter, the child will be Israel's savior and deliverer. Who will draw Israel out of Egypt? Who will draw them out of the Red Sea onto dry land near Mount Sinai? Oh, the irony. The narrative is rich. Reminds me of a story. Story of a missionary who served among pagans. And there was a neighbor who was an atheist and very antagonistic toward the missionary and her faith. One day the neighbor walked by the missionary's house and heard her praying. And she was praying to the Lord, please provide my daily bread 
My financial means are limited. I have no food. Please provide my daily bread. Help me, Lord. She was a poor missionary trying to reach a pagan area. The atheist walked by as she was praying. And he thought to himself, I'm going to put food on her porch. And so the atheist goes to the supermarket, collects a bunch of food, puts it on the porch, and knocks on the door and goes around the corner of the house. The missionary opens the door, sees all this food, and says, Thank you, God, I praise you for supplying my daily bread. The the atheist comes out from the corner. Your God didn't provide this for you. I did. Your God did nothing. I did this for you. The missionary kept praising God. Thank you, Lord, for providing my daily bread. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the atheist said, aren't you listening to me? I'm the one that gave this to you. I'm the one that gave this to you. The missionary said, thank you, Lord, for providing my daily bread and making Satan pay for it. God does his perfect work using means like this. This narrative is rich. The child Moses finds refuge in his own home with his mother. He finds refuge in Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh's daughter pays for it. God protects the Savior of his people, but the child first undergoes humiliation and trials. Why? Thirdly, the Savior identifies with and defends his own people. The Savior identifies with and and, uh, defends his own people. Verses 11 to 15. Moses is 40 years old. He's a grown man, the text says. And he has an Egyptian name. He talks like an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. Nobody got that one, I don't think. If you don't know, ask somebody who laughed. At some point in his life, Moses becomes aware that he is a Hebrew and not an Egyptian. You notice with me at verse 11, one day when Moses, one day, one day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to what? What does that say? He went out to who? His people. His people. Underline that in your Bible. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beaten, beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He comes to the conclusion that he is a Hebrew. He is one who embraces the God of Israel, the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he now identifies himself with his people and intervenes between the Hebrew and an Egyptian. And the Egyptian was beating the Hebrew. Moses takes justice into his own hands and kills the Egyptian oppressor. Now the big question in biblical studies is this killing justified. Some believe that Moses was justified in this killing. Others believe he was not justified in his killing and took matters into his own hands. But again, interpreting Scripture with Scripture, 
Acts chapter 7, verses 23 to 25. Write those references down. I'll read it for you. Stephen, to the, to the religious leaders, wrote this. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Maybe Moses didn't fully understand until he met God at the burning bush. But the important thing for us to understand is that this Savior, a Savior of his people, must identify with his own people must sympathize with his own people, must suffer with his own people. He identifies with them and he defends his people from Egyptian oppression. God worked faith in the heart in Moses and Moses chose, chose to suffer humiliation and rejection for the sake of Christ because he looked ahead to the future reward. Pastor Rossi, where do you get that? I don't see that in the text. Okay, scripture interpreting scripture. If you're taking notes, again, Hebrews chapter 11. The author says, By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with God's people than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. Moses, by God's grace, had some understanding of what God was doing, albeit dimly. He was looking forward to something greater, something better. Who? Who was he looking forward to, friends? Who was he looking forward to? The Lord Jesus Christ. And the eternal adherences that Jesus provides for his people. He sees his own countrymen fighting. Why are you fighting each other? Isn't it enough that Egyptians are fighting you and oppressing you? And one of the Hebrews makes known the killing of the Egyptian and Moses flees to Midian. He's rejected here by his own people. Are you starting to see the similarities between Christ and Moses? They don't believe that Moses is the savior of God's people. They deny and reject him where he has to flee. And he remains 40 years in Midian where he gets a wife and a child. And then we have this interesting passage at verse 23. Look with me in your Bibles. The narrative transitions to God remembers his covenant of grace. During those many days, the, killing of Egypt, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We may think it's out of place, but we need to remember that God is even in work in the previous verses, in the previous context. And we are being reminded that God remembers. God remembers his promise and he fulfills his promise. He hears their cry. He sees their plight. And God knew that his God is concerned. 
God is concerned. In fact, he's concerned for them even before they cry out. Even before they cry out, he's concerned for them. God knew. God knew. This child is a savior. A savior is born among the people of Israel, and he will deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army and lead his people, lead God's people. This child was prepared by God for this service. But this child, friends, this child may have delivered Israel from a foreign power. This child could never deliver the people from their sin and misery. This child can never deliver them from sin, death, hell. This child can never deliver them from the hand of Satan and the tyranny of Satan. One must come who is greater and better than Moses, who is the God-man, the Son of God and Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who would come in humiliation, the Son of God, assuming human flesh, being born of a woman, Born in a manger, protected by God when the angels told his, told his parents to flee to Egypt because King Herod was after him. God was protecting his child, his son, who is our Savior. Moses could never cleanse Israel of their sins, grant forgiveness of sins, could never secure an eternal inheritance or redemption. Jesus does that. And that's the big significant difference between the two of them, as I mentioned in the beginning. Only Jesus and his precious work on the cross cleanses, forgives, heals, restores hopeless sinners who are in bondage to sin and the law. Each and every one of us we're born in bondage and oppression. Each and every one of us. And only God through Christ releases us, delivers us from that bondage. He knows we are dust. He knows we are worthy of eternal redemption, but God remembers his promise. He remembers his covenant of grace given to, to back in the, with Adam and Eve when when the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, back in Genesis 12 with Abraham, when all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed through his seed, namely Jesus. God remembered to send his son, our Savior, coming in humiliation. He identified with us in our weaknesses, says the author of Hebrews, yet without sin. He sympathizes with you, Christian. He identifies with you, yet without sin. He knows your oppression. He knows your pain. He knows your sorrow. And he was rejected, despised by men, was he not? He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to those who received them, he gave the right to be called what? Children of God. Moses fled. Jesus didn't. Moses fled to Midian. Jesus stayed and endured the cross. And he did it for you and me. 
so that we might know full deliverance. And when we come to the supper of the Lord, we know the full deliverance, full and free in Jesus, the complete forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. And one day we'll enjoy this feast in heaven with him when he shall take up that cup again. Oh, God remembers us. He remembers us in his son, the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. And when we cry out to God in faith, he hears your hurts. He hears your pain. He hears your struggle against sin. When we come to him in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name alone, he hears us and remembers us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us because Jesus is the Savior that is born, that is come. He is Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man. Recently, watched a video on YouTube. It was a testimony of a Jewish man. He works, he has this ministry called So Be It. And he lives in Jerusalem. And he witnesses and evangelizes the Jewish people there. He works in tandem with Jews for Jesus. And my wife and I listened to his testimony recently and were amazed at God's grace. This man who grew up learning the Tanakh, the Word of God, the Old Testament, he grew up, made his bar mitzvah, he, he grew up memorizing the Hebrew Scripture, but felt so oppressed in his spirit, felt like he could never measure up to God. He was looking for peace in his soul, and so he left the Hebrew Scriptures and went to New Age, Eastern mysticism, and he practiced forms of meditation. He would go to Tibet and various places of worship and meditation, looking for peace, looking for someone to release him from that inner oppression and slavery that he was in. He was looking for solitude with a divine being. And the only way that in Eastern mysticism that you can receive that solitude, that emptiness being part of your soul, removing everything in your soul and just focusing on the divine being requires deep meditation and discipline. And even when he tried to achieve this, he found himself wanting. He was hurting and even more depressed and suicidal. And finally, he, he was crying on the floor and, and telling his wife, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I screwed things up for our family. I screwed things up for our kids. I'm leading our kids in the wrong way. And he's crying out, God, help me. God, whoever you are, help me. And in the course of a few weeks, maybe months, I forgot how long, his wife was receiving these experiences with Jesus, by experiences I mean she was hearing about scripture verses, she was meeting missionaries or people who knew Jesus. Her chi their child, the same thing, ran into a, a young man in a youth group. And people were telling him about Jesus and the parents said, keep going. And then he himself started finding out about Jesus. This oppressed home this home that was bound in slavery became free when Jesus saved them. Amen? Isn't God about the business of saving people through his son Jesus? A savior is born. 
and he is Jesus. And he breaks the chains of sin and hell and death and Satan. And he frees you, Christian. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that a Savior indeed has been born. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man. And that through his perfect death on the cross, he has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He didn't flee, but he went to the cross willingly. Went to the cross suffering its shame so that we, the people of God, are delivered and set free. Oh, Father, we pray that you would create in us a desire, a holy desire to know you, to love you, to serve you, to follow you. And we look to you by faith and faith alone. And we long for the day when you shall come again, Lord Jesus, to judge the living and the dead. And you shall take us up to yourself. And we will know that inheritance that is secure, that is firm and fixed, ready for us in the heavenly places. Oh Lord God, be glorified in your people and help us to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us, pointing people to Jesus and doing so with gentleness and kindness. For in your name we